so hello 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 how are you doing i'm good i'm very good how are you yes i am good this is the reading materials podcast i'm cory and i'm lucia and i really can't remember what the introduction's supposed to involve suppose we should have a spoiler alert in here somewhere we're going to be talking about The Ladies of the Secret Circus by Constance Sayers, and we can't avoid spoilers because otherwise it's too hard to talk. <laughs> Absolutely. So as you know, I finished this book literally 10 minutes ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I finished it this afternoon. Yeah. But you've had a lot on your plate in terms of reader, reader buddy reads, I think you call it. Yes, I slightly underestimated or overestimated my abilities once again so I've rushed through this book in the last two and a half days mm. so it's all still here in my brain <laughs> that's good I've been listening to lots of audiobooks because I'm a member of Audible and they've introduced a new thing where you get access to a massive catalogue of books which especially because I've been off for the last few days in preparation for the wedding, I've just had loads of time to just sort of potter about listening to audiobooks. So my Goodreads has exploded this week because it's just <laughs> book after book after book after book. And then I was like, oh, I do actually need to read the book we're supposed to be reading. So I also only finished the book today. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, I did notice that you were suddenly adding a lot more books on Goodreads. And I was wondering... Are you reading them all now, or are they like a, a back catalogue? What's going on? It's the bonus of audiobooks, and I have just, I was telling you earlier, rearranged the whole study, and been doing fish stuff, and just lots of things that give me lots of listening time. Excellent. Have you been listening hmm. to anything good? Anything you'd recommend? I think so. Uh, but let me just double check before I mislead anybody. Can I just say how much I love Goods Goodreads also? What do you love about it? I just like that it keeps track of what you've read and you can... Because I, before Goodreads, would just completely forget what I'd read. So I listened to The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, mm -hmm. which I thought was really good. I really enjoyed it. And it has a sequel that comes out tomorrow. Oh, and then I also read Hunting Prince Jack Hunting Prince Dracula as a follow up to the last episode where we read uh, Stalking Jack Ripper. Mm -hmm. And not sure that I would necessarily recommend it, just in terms of it wasn't the best book that I've read mm -hmm. over the last two weeks, but but it was good. So it's a good sequel to Stalking Jack the Ripper. But actually, the one that I liked the most was Freckles by Cecilia Ahern, who she wrote me before. No, not me before you. That oh, watch. Oh, there's something really famous that she's written, and I hadn't realised that she was the author of that. Oh, P.S. I love you. Okay, yeah. And she's Irish, so this just seems to be the year where we read loads of Irish, <laughs> Irish books. But it was really good. It was. It sort of focused on identity and I guess interacting with the humans in the world around you I really enjoyed it cool and then obviously this one although I did read this one what were the buddy reads that you were doing so I was doing the prison healer by Lynette Nonny 
-hmm. I got that from you. Um, that was a buddy read. I flew through that last week because I was commuting to DCU over in the north side of the city, which is an hour on the bus each way. So mm. a lot of reading time. So I read that much quicker than I anticipated. And yeah, it was really good. Would recommend. It's a, it's a YA fantasy, but quite light on the fantasy so far. And the mm. sequel comes out in a couple of weeks as well. So mm. going to read that. And then I started reading Kingdom of the Wicked by Carrie Maniscalco. So she's the one who also wrote Stalking Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And this is her... Other series. I don't know if we would call it YA fantasy or if it's more mm. of the new new adult fantasy. Mm. But I haven't gotten very far through that. I think I'm only on chapter 10 or 11. Mm. But so far, it's okay. It's It hasn't blown me away yet. Mm. But maybe it still will. We'll see. And then yeah. obviously this one, which I read in <laughs> like two and a half days. <laughs> yes, I was a bit surprised by how long this one was. But let's talk about that in a minute. Um, we've started doing the new thing where we incorporate the blurb into the actual episode so we don't mm -hmm. have to edit loads of stuff. Yep. Okay. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. So... The surest way to get a ticket to Le Cirque Secret is to wish for it. Please excuse my French. <laughs> Paris, 1925. To enter the secret circus is to enter a world of wonder. A world where women weave illusions, carousels take you back in time, and trapeze artists float across the sky. Bound to her family circus, it's the only world Cecile Cabot knows until she meets a charismatic young painter and embarks on a passionate affair that could cost her everything. Virginia, 2004. Lara Barnes is on top of the world, but when her fiancé disappears on their wedding day, every plan she has for the future comes crashing down. Desperate, Lara's search for answers unexpectedly lead to her great-grandmother's journals. Swept into a story of a dark circus and ill-fated love, secrets about Lara's family history come to light and reveal a curse that has been claiming payment from women in her family for generations. A curse that might be tied to her fiancé's mysterious fate. Dot, dot, dot. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so did you get a chance to read up about Constance Sayers at all? I did not. I went into this completely blind. Yeah, same. So um, she's a relatively new author in terms of this is her second published book. Okay. And she has been awarded prizes for short stories including the pushcart prize and best of the net she has a master of arts in english from george mason university and she's basically from washington dc there's not a lot about her on her website uh on the internet so all of the information that i just read i got from her website but i did don't ask me how i came about this but i also found out that she is the president of Government Executive, which is a journalism website while they do podcasts and events and stuff as well. But it basically looks like it's it's a news site in, for politics in the USA, which looks really interesting. Please don't ask me how I found that out because I don't remember, but I do have her LinkedIn page up on my uh, 
on my browser, so I obviously went quite deep trying to find some information about her. <laughs> and, um, yeah, as I say, this is the second book she's had published. It's a standalone novel, so her first one was basically a romance. It has an elements of, in, uh, of, of magic in it, and it's sort of the same sort of structure where it looks at Paris in the past and then it focuses on characters in the present day as well. It looks quite good, but I've not read it. And the reason I picked the book is basically because it was on the Kindle Daily Deal in, like, June. And we were originally going to read The Bureau of Second Chances, but you struggled to find the book. And then I just had this on my Kindle, so suggested it. Excellent. Hmm. So what did you think? It So, like I said, I went into this completely blind... I didn't I didn't even read the blurb when you suggested that we do this book. I did look it up on Goodreads just so that I could add it to my to be read list. And I think I read maybe the first three words, which was Paris 1925. And I was like, yep, yep. okay, so let's go. Let's do this. Yep. <laughs> and I honestly, I thought it was going to take place entirely in Paris in 1925 Mm-hmm. Did not know that it was fantasy. So when I started reading and it was taking place in 2004 and suddenly magic started happening for a good while, I was like, am I reading the right book? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> and then we started jumping through time and I was just generally, is this what I, th- is this the right book? And then finally we reached the 1925 chapter and I was like, okay, I think, I think we're on the right track here. Mm. So, long story short, really, really enjoyed it. I might even go so far as to say that it it might be my favorite podcast book so far. Yes! <laughs> oh, I finally found one that was good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. I am so pleased. <laughs> How about you? Did you like it? I did like it, yeah. I I was similarly... I literally just bought it based on the screenshot on Amazon of the front of it. I was also confused that it wasn't set in Paris at the beginning. I was also confused that although the central theme that ties the whole book together is a circus... It didn't take place in a circus. I think I was sort of imagining, like, the slightly seedy underworld that circuses occupy and some sort of drama about the people who run away and end up running circuses. And I guess it was it was like that, but mm-hmm. from a completely different context. I, I did really enjoy it. The... I gave it four out of five stars on Goodreads. And the reason it dropped the star is I felt like the end dragged out a little bit. And I hated the epilogue. Any book that gets an epilogue, I it automatically just makes me... I, uh, I think it probably stems from the 19 years later in Harry Potter. I think that adding an epilogue that takes place... In fact, just... Uh, it has to be a really good epilogue to me to not take away the reader's freedom to imagine what happens at the end of or after the book has ended. 
Mm-hmm. So, yes, those are the two reasons why it didn't get five stars from me. I didn't mind the epilogue mm-hmm. because, as I said, I finished it like less than half an hour ago. And as I was reaching mm-hmm. the end of the book, I kept thinking, God, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? How is it going to end? And mm. the second to last chapter, when it ended, I, I felt like it was too abrupt. Like it needed, for me, it needed that epilogue to mm. to see what was going to happen next. And I think she did it quite cleverly because we get some aspects of what happens a few months down the line but the actual Mm -hmm. ending even the epilogue ending i think is very open-ended like you don't know what's going to happen to yeah lara at the end yeah and i'm not sure i even fully understand what she's trying to achieve so maybe we can talk about that later on in the episode but um i don't know if i would give it i'm i'm very tempted to give it five stars but I also am aware that because it's still so fresh that I might just be mm. caught up in the excitement of it. So definitely four stars. Yeah. Possibly five. I'll have to sit mm-hmm. with it for a few hours and then and then I'll see how I feel. Yes. But. <laughs> Good. So I guess maybe we we either assume that people have read the book or that they're probably not going to read the book. So we have the beginning which is in Virginia in the late or the early noughties mid noughties Mm -hmm. I don't really know and um we go through this whole marriage thing with Lara and then the bits that are in 1925 are a journal and one of the things that I really didn't like about the 10,000 doors of January was the story within a story and actually I really liked it in this one Mm -hmm. um I liked that it gave you it wasn't like it was written in the present tense i suppose Mm -hmm. which i thought was it it gave it a freshness that it wouldn't have had if it was just like lara finding out the stuff that had happened in the past and somehow narrating it Mm -hmm. yeah i did keep thinking back to Ten Thousand doors of january as soon as the the diary came in and Mm. i also kept remembering when we talked about Beach Read and the fact that one of the characters in Beach Read was writing a novel and it was going to take mm. place in a circus and now suddenly we were reading a book about the circus so yeah. I kept thinking oh wow the circus because <laughs> I've I've never read a book set in a circus and now in the span of a few months we read a book about an author who's going to write a book about the circus now I read a book about the circus <laughs> and one of the book boxes that I subscribe to, the book featured in there is also about a circus. So What's that book called? When I was looking at the Goodreads page for the book, there was something, there was a question that somebody had written that were quite negative, talking about um, how it's very similar to The Night Circus. Ah, no, it's not that one. I think it's called The Chaos Circus. Oh, okay. No, it's it's not it's not the the Midnight Circus or whatever mm. the other one. I think that's the most famous one about a circus. I think so. Yeah, and and Constance Sayers has replied on Goodreads to that, saying anybody who writes about dark circuses owns owes a debt to the Night Circus just because it was such a pivotal book mm-hmm. when it came to talking about the 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 darkness of the circus. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so I liked the diary mm. within this book. But like I said before, I do like the, the book within a book kind of um, yeah. trope. And I did like how it jumped around in time. I felt like there was a lot going on. Yeah. There were a lot of separate storylines, but I think she managed to execute them all really well. I wasn't expecting that there would be a murder mystery. I wasn't expecting that the circus is actually a representation of hell. Mm. Um, I wasn't expecting all the backstory for Ben's character and his marriage and everything, although obviously by the end I figured out why we needed that. <laughs> yeah. Did not see that twist coming. No, me neither. At all. So yeah, just generally a lot of stuff going on, but I think a lot of good things. Like there wasn't anything really that I didn't like. Yeah, I agree. There was a lot going on, but but you could keep track of it all. There wasn't there was nothing where I was like, "Oh, I have no idea where that's come from." You could remember how everything related to everything else. Mm -hmm. Even really small things like at one point she's talking about the Ouija board and that features as a memory from when Lara was a kid and then suddenly it's here in the present and just small things like that I think it was really cleverly constructed mm -hmm. what did you think of the actual circus so here I think is where all my struggles come from and we've discussed this in a previous episode and it's the fact that I struggle with imagining things and I struggled massively, again, with this aspect of mm. the book. Especially when it's something fantastical, I do have trouble picturing it. And I don't even know if I've ever been to a real circus. Did you come to Cirque du Soleil? I did. I went to Cirque du Soleil once. But that was, yeah. you know, in the Royal Albert Hall. It's not a real circus. Yeah, and it was many years ago as well, yeah. and in a very not circusy setting as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah, yeah. So mm. while I, I have a picture in my mind, you know, from movies of what a circus tent looks like and what a performance would look like, I couldn't quite imagine it the way that it was described in the book. But I don't think that it took away anything from the experience, because I think I've just come to terms with this that I'm never really going to be able to picture anything so it doesn't really bother me so much so I loved what the circus represented mm. I thought that was really really clever and the whole time I was trying to think who are all the performers because basically the concept is that I suppose the circuit is a form a circus is a form of hell so certain people who were evil in life don't go to heaven, they go to hell. And if they were performers, they might be able to perform in this circus. But mm -hmm. obviously they would be turned into some kind of an act. So a lot of them were turned into animals or other performance artists. So the whole time I was trying to think, who are these people? Because you do get some tidbits of information about some of them, like the monkey, for example. <laughs> that was yes. <pretty> funny. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you like the circus? 
Yes, I loved it. I um, Well, as we know, I'm very visual the way that, that I think, and Moulin Rouge is one of my favourite films of all time. Um, and I think it's partly because of the chaos of like jumping between scenes and the sort of dual tones in that film. And that is very similar to how the circus is described. I think you, I think it was sort of like oversaturated blues and having the painters in it was also very clever because it, it helped me to imagine like a circus poster and that was one of the things that really featured heavily was Margot, who's one of the characters on a horse and just the the descriptions of the paintings that were central to the story as well was really clever and descriptive and the circus itself which it sounds like it was only running for two years between 1924 and 1926 Mm -hmm. and the whole point of it was to create a place for Cecile and Esme to have a home because they were half demon half human and I could really get the the aura of mystery and secrecy that surrounded that and you could really think you know you could really picture Ernest Hemingway or Picasso sitting in a little cafe being all like oh I really want tickets to the circus and does it exist doesn't it exist somebody standing next to you may not be able to see it I really liked all of the elements of just fantastic nature that that gave the circus Mm. Yep, I 100% agree with that. I thought that she brought in um, real historical figures really well. Mm -hmm. I think from what I know of that time and of Paris in that time, I thought she captured the mood really well. Mm -hmm. The fact that it was such an artistic city, all the Mm -hmm. artists, whether they were painters, musicians, um, authors... They would all go to Paris at some point in the 20s, it seemed like. And yeah, I love the whole concept of you needed a special ticket. You needed to be invited to be able to go. It was good. The tickets were cool as well. Yeah, it really made me want to go back to Paris. Mm. So we have both been. We went together. Yeah. And I was trying to remember where we'd gone Obviously, I don't know Paris as well as I would know London, for example, because I, I never lived there. But So I think we did spend some time in Montmartre, didn't we? Yes, but, but, but that's not the same as Montparnasse, which is where no. this used to take place. Yeah, so but I think it's I think it's very close because a lot of the places that we went to in Montmartre... I, my French accent, by the way, is just shocking, so please excuse that. I think I'm talking completely out of my butt here. <laughs> it doesn't look like it's close at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I literally have no idea where anything is in relation. So it's, yeah, it is south of the river. It doesn't look like it's very close to anywhere that we went because we mostly stayed north of the river mm. around the Eiffel Tower and so on and so forth. I guess mostly around the river. But anyway, yeah, I 
I guess maybe I got the two confused, but I could very much imagine it. Hmm. I was a little bit surprised that there was no mention of the Eiffel Tower. I know it's a, I know it's a cliche, and if there's anyone French listening to this, I'm I'm really sorry. I know that Paris doesn't revolve around the Eiffel Tower, but it is one of the yeah. most famous um, features of the city. And so then I started questioning. Maybe it didn't exist in 1925. Maybe that's why it's never mentioned. But it it did exist. It was built in the late 1880s. So. <laughs> Yeah, so when I went to Paris, I think it was the year before I went with you, there's a big old tower there in Montparnasse, which you can climb and it's got a panoramic viewing platform or like viewing story at the top where you can see the Eiffel Tower from it. Mm -hmm. So I have been there because I've been to that tower. But, um, yeah, I think if we do, I think going back to Paris might be an uphill struggle with my dearly beloved because he has a real thing about Paris, but maybe we should plan a girl's trip and go and do like, (laughs) have a, have a scout around. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, (laughs) you know, maybe we, did we not go there together to this tower? Cause it's really, maybe we did. We might have done. I can't remember. I went to Paris three times in very close proximity to each other, like a year apart. I, in in a year, I went three times with three different groups. <laughs> yeah, I might have to go on a, like a search on Facebook and try and find our photos from our trip and see. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we digress. But it, yeah, it it was fun being in Paris and having somewhere that wasn't London, which we sort of talked about quite a lot and being able to visualise that, but still being somewhere that we were both familiar enough about to be able to get the essence of it. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think, um, you know, all the descriptions of the cafes and uh, sitting outside, Mm. enjoying an espresso or having lunch on the street, you know, that is a very Parisian thing. You you sit and you watch mm. the world go by. So, yeah, I think it's helpful if you've been there. You can kind of picture what it looks like and the really mm. huge boulevards and all that kind of stuff. So Yeah, yeah. and cemeteries as well, because the mm. cemetery was in there. Yeah, I quite liked that we went to modern-day Paris as well. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was fun especially because the town that they lived in in Virginia was quite parochial and secluded and very little so I think if we hadn't had that element of going somewhere else it might have become a little bit circular almost yeah maybe you might be right yeah I don't really know how to like what questions to pose about this because Mm -hmm. Like, okay, did you like Lara as a character? Did you like the the protagonist? I think so. I think I liked her. I didn't like her mother, Audrey. Uh, I thought she was a bit annoying. (laughs) And I liked the romance parts with Ben. I think I quite liked that Lara was quite go-getting, like, to move on from the fact that her fiancé and very nearly husband, had vanished, was to 
buy a radio station and buy a house and learn how to do DIY and not just sit and wallow. I I think I identify quite strongly with that because I'm I like to do things to keep my mind off the hard stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. How about you? I liked Lara a lot. I thought she mm. was great. I thought she was very capable. She was very independent, but not in a pushing people away or not accepting help kind of way. I liked her mom. I didn't really have a problem with her character, um, especially by the end. There were a few scenes maybe when the dialogue between the two two of them was, I found maybe a little bit strange. Mm. I liked Ben, and I thought that it was a very natural progression in their relationship. It wasn't insta-love. It was, you know, something that built over time. So I found that yeah. to be quite realistic. And I'm going to agree with you again. I like the fact that, you know, her way of coping with things is not to shut down, but it's to go out and, and do stuff. I mean, I think it's safe to say that this podcast was also born of something like that, yeah. at least from, mm-hmm. from my side. And I liked the the generations of women in, in the family. The fact that it was, yeah. you know, each woman had one daughter, had one daughter, had one daughter. It was very, mm. again, it, it reminded me a little bit of me because I'm an only child. My mom is an only child. Her mom is an only child. <laughs> so in that sense, I found that really nice. I, I liked that as well. I liked that mostly females were the main characters and then the men played a bit of a side role in many ways they were important to the story but it didn't focus on them centrally Hmm. I thought that the one of the things that you see on social media a lot at the moment is the fact that women should be empowering women and not tearing each other down Mm -hmm. and that is definitely not what happened in this book um you had Esme and Cecile, who were the twins, who, by the way, I love how they are twins. They were born conjoined and then separated basically by magic. And mm-hmm. I liked that a lot. And I also thought the element of Esme absolutely hating Cecile was really interesting. And you find out at the end why exactly it is that she starts hating her so much because she's got a memory of when they were conjoined, whereas because Cecile was the weaker twin, all of her memories of that time were removed, so Esme still has to live with all the trauma and the responsibility for maintaining the magic that keeps them whole. I thought that that was really interesting. It's something that I have always wondered, if I had had a sister, would I have got on with her? Because as a child and a teenager... I really struggled with other other girls my age. Mm-hmm. It wasn't really until I got to uni that I started having female friends on the whole. Mm-hmm. There were sort of, if I think back to when I first came to England, there were two girls that I was really friendly with for, the, for a couple of years. And then we had a massive falling out about... God knows what. I think it was, oh, favouritism, you like her more than you like me. And you get an element of that with Esme, Cecile and Sylvie, who's the friend. I Yeah, I just, I thought it was brilliant. 
Yeah, I thought that was really well done as well. I'm struggling to, th to think of anything negative to say at this point, so I'm sorry to the listeners if it's if it sounds like we're just, you know, It's good for us this. to have something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's good because there have been so many books where we've just been like, I hated it, I hated it, I hated it. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't necessarily be able to identify with either Esme or Cecile because like I said, I'm, mm. I'm an only child. Yeah. Um, I would say that growing up, I was probably 80% friends with girls and a mm. few guy friends here and there. But yeah, I thought it was quite realistic scenarios that they went through in the sense of three friends, three is always a bit of an awkward number. Who are mm. you really best friends with? That's, I think, on some level, we've all been through that kind of an argument with, with our girlfriends at some point in life. I definitely have. And then, you know, liking the same boy, or in this case, obviously falling in love with the same man. Mm. And the jealousy that that comes with as well. I really liked it. I really liked their dynamic. I empathized with both of them. I don't think that Esme is a complete villain. Mm. Maybe at the beginning she's portrayed that way and maybe I did view her like that at first because I didn't fully understand why she was the way she was but definitely by the end of the book I wouldn't call her the villain. The villain is obviously their father and yeah everything horrible that ever happened to Esme, Cecile and Sylvie was because of his actions. Which perhaps we shouldn't be surprised about because he is a demon from hell. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know anything about the demon? Is it a real demon or is it one that was made up? I think he was made up because when I tried Googling him, I only ever came up with references to this specific book. Yeah, okay, interesting. So he's 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 basically the the demon of anything fun, isn't he? Yes. And um, I thought that was quite fun. But you also get... At the end, it's said that he's being punished by Lucifer, who's obviously the devil, because he fell in love with a human, which is strictly verboten. Um, <laughs> because he was Lucifer's favourite, he didn't get completely destroyed. He he then just got slightly ostracised and went off and made this little circus. <laughs> and then at the end, it comes back around again where... He has, well, first of all, he splits the girls up from being conjoined because he's embarrassed about how they are, essentially. That might be boiling it down a little bit too much, but mm -hmm. I really enjoyed the bit at the end where he's trying to track Esme down because he's being judged for having let his half-human, half-demon child go out into the world and basically just throw a massive tantrum. I really like that characterization of her. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I would have liked to have found, found out more about him. We found out quite a lot, but he just... His part of the story begins with him falling in love with a human mm. in terms of ch chronology. And it would have been really interesting to find out a bit more about him and how he he got to that point. Like, how did he even meet her? Did mm. she know that he was a demon? 
Yeah, I agree. I really liked, well, I liked aspects of his character. I liked him the first time when he appeared to Lara in the field. Mm. I found the description of him really cool. The fact that he has these demonic eyes. She keeps saying that they look like goat's eyes. Yeah. I think that's a quite widely used thing to depict a demon. I liked him a little less when he started monologuing and Mm -hmm. explaining himself. I think maybe that would have been, if I were to pick like a thing I didn't like, I think that chapter when she's actually at the circus and he's explaining what's been Mm. going on and why he needs her. I think that was, for me, maybe a little bit chaotic, but that could also be because it was an hour before we were supposed to record and I was just trying to get through it as quickly as possible. Yeah. But I think that bit was also a lot of, what is it, tell not show. And there was just generally a lot going on in that chapter with Lara also discovering, you know, the extent of her abilities and for some Mm. reason having to learn to fly. I didn't really understand why that was at all relevant. I think I would have preferred him if he'd kind of stayed in the way that I pictured him in my mind as this figure plucked from time. He se- The first time we meet him, he seemed like really like a 1920s kind of person or creature. And then by the end, he's very modern. And even the the way that he speaks becomes very modern. And it just didn't, I didn't really like it at the end. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, there was a there was a real a lot of the elements of the story that got her to go to Paris were just him masquerading as other people. So whether it was the fortune teller at a circus that she went to in Virginia, or as what else did he show up as? Oh, the the caretaker of another building. I could see him as those two characters, but then the person that he appeared as at the end was too modern, mm. really. When she goes to the circus and the fortune teller is there, it still didn't clock that it was him. I thought that he was just the fortune teller from the circus who had appeared to her in the other circus Mm. in in America. So then when he turned back into (laughs) this demon, I was like, oh, oh, okay, this is what we're doing here. (laughs) Mm. I think I would have maybe preferred if they were two separate beings. Yeah, I I like maybe if they'd been pawns like the monkey. Exactly, than yeah. Actually just him. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you said that you were surprised by the murder element of it. Mm-hmm. Did you enjoy that part? I did. It really reminded me again, I think this book had a lot of a lot of the time I was thinking t- about other things that it reminded me of. So mm. I don't know if you watched Dark on Netflix. No. It's a show on Netflix. It's a German show. And mm-hmm. the disappearance of the men every 30 years in this book really reminded me of that show without giving too much away. I don't want to spoil it for other people. But I was... I was trying to figure it out, basically. And I was mm. confused where when that's where the story actually starts. It starts with a disappearance. And so that's also why I thought, okay, am I reading the right thing? <laughs> yeah. 
and I liked how it all tied together. Did you like it? Yes, I did. I think it I think that was the bit that felt a little bit rushed to me because it's hard because I felt like the end of the book dragged on a bit, but I also felt like I didn't get enough detail almost of that part of it. So we find out that Esme is the one who was originally married to Ben and the house that they own together she's just lived there her whole for a hundred years because she's immortal and has been responsible for the disappearances of three men over 30 years span apart from each other if that makes sense so 90 years of disappearances or 60 years anyway not important (laughs) it was very convenient that she could just wipe the fingerprints in the cars and remove all the DNA and I think when I I read a lot of crime novels which are mostly centered around murder I suppose and I listen to a lot of podcasts about death destruction and murder <laughs> not because I'm sick by the way they're a comedy <laughs> they're, they're like they take they make them funny so that the horror of the whole thing is lessened slightly listen to my favorite murder if you want a snippet of what i mean <laughs> so solving crimes is something that i'm very familiar with and i like books where you get enough information that you can have a wild stab at who you think the culprit is Whereas with this, it was literally just, we find out that all these men these men have disappeared. I actually thought that they might have been taken into the secret circus. I thought that when she was in the secret circus, she would discover them. But actually, no, it turns out that they were just murdered. And the convenience of magic covering the tracks. I think that bit didn't sit quite right with me. I think the one thing I would disagree with you on is that I didn't think the ending dragged. I think the ending was rushed because we find out all of this in the span of two chapters at the end. So I think unlike you, I don't read that much crime. And when I do, I can never guess who the (laughs) murderer is. I'm not really good at this. And even for this one, you know, you're given tidbits. And I honestly, I thought it was Audrey. That was my guess. My guess was that Audrey was actually Esme. So I did like the fact that it seemed like a natural way for Ben to figure these things out. I liked that he that it wasn't immediately obvious to him that he struggled with it for months and he needed to be given clues by outside elements for him to actually solve yeah. it. That seemed very realistic, especially considering the fact that they lived in a town that had zero crime for yes. like the past 90 years or something. But yeah, I think I agree with you that it all was maybe a little bit too convenient. But then that is maybe the problem with magic. The fact that you can just do anything. Yeah, that's true. I think the other thing I was struggling to get my head around a little bit was the fact that the village that they live in... Have you ever been to America? I have, but I've only ever been to New York City. Right, so I I was sort of imagining this village 
town as Gilmore Girls, essentially, because that's mm-hmm. I've watched that so many times. So that's sort of what I get in my head when I think about small town USA. And so you've got this very contained town and there's an enchantment on it that keeps Audrey and uh, Lara and before them Sylvia and Margot safe and yet Esme is living in the same town. Mm-hmm. I I sort of was like, I don't understand how that works. Yeah. Well, I guess if I were to try and justify it, I would say that the enchantment really works on just the women of the family, right? As in they're protected. Or is it or is or is the enchantment on the whole town? Because there's no crime in the town. That is true. Well the only crime that ever happens, obviously, is the disappearances. That's when there's a glitch in the enchantment because it's on their birthday. Yes. And every th- every thirty years yeah, I was trying to think if the justification is the fact that she does that Esme doesn't actually live in the town the whole time. Mm, I've just thought, could it maybe be that they're not actually, the whole town is not actually protected. It's just that she only needs blood every 30 years to keep herself alive, essentially. The illusion of the full body. Mm-hmm. And so the reason that she's chosen those men is because she's just getting vengeance on uh, Cecile and the and the mm. line of her ancestors. So maybe if she decided at any other time to kill, she would also be be able to. But she just doesn't. It's only every thirty years, and for some reason, the protection does stop all other types of crime. I really, I don't know. I'm getting myself tied up in knots here. (laughs) Yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm also, actually, now that I think about it, I am also a little bit confused. Mm. Because, but then again, like, it's never really explicitly stated that Esme wants to harm the women in the family physically until Lara, or until she figures out that Lara has the power to trap her. So maybe she's happy enough to just leave the women alone, but make them suffer in another way, which is the fact that she kills off the men that they are in love with. Yeah. At least that's how maybe I view it. So the protection spell is maybe not even all that necessary, but does come with the added perk of the fact that there is no crime in the town. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know. Because she does at some point mention, you know, that she's seen the whole world. She's been to Rome, Paris, uh, Sydney, Los Angeles. And she does say that the one month that she spent in Italy, or however long she was there, that she did have to kill someone every single day for 30 days until she got stronger and they're then only needed to do it once every 30 years. It sounds like there's a potential for there to be a second novel in surrounding this which oh. is which I which I get just from again on Goodreads somebody asked is this a standalone novel. Mm-hmm. And 
she has said it is intended to be a standalone novel, but I do feel like Esme's story needs to be told. Mm. So I think if that if she were to do that, then I would eagerly read what that was all about. Because I think obviously the the this book focuses mostly on Lara and Cecile's line of women, but Esme is really just a side character in many ways. Yeah, I would I would read that book. Definitely. Do you like books that occur concurrently to the books they're related to? So I'm thinking about, like, with Twilight, Stephanie Meyer brought out another book that was the same story, but from Edward's point of view. Mm-hmm. I've never read that mm. book, and I don't think I've ever read anything that happened concurrently. I know that it's a it's a thing that uh, some authors are doing these days. And um, if I were to let my super skeptical side shine, I would say that it's mostly a money-grabbing scheme because yeah. if, it's, if it's literally exactly the same story just told from a different character's point of view, yeah, what are you really adding? Yeah, I agree. I so I guess that books that you know you 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 quite often get a book which is told from a, like I don't know six characters' points of view. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You do you like those kinds of books? Oh yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. So I've read well, like for example, Game of Thrones is written like that. Aurora Rising, which I mentioned a few episodes back, that's told from the point of view of seven different characters. Uh, six of Crows which is from the same universe as Shadow and Bone, which I think you put on your TBR at some point. Um, that's also told by multiple different characters, yeah. I don't mind different POVs. I think it can be a really interesting uh, storytelling tool as long as they are really distinct characters, that they have their own distinct voice. So, yeah, I don't mind it. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because I think... I have a real almost love-hate relationship with them because mm. I will inevitably have a favorite character and I'll I'll always be frustrated by the fact that oh I'm now not reading that one's point of view but I think also the tension I'm slowly learning about myself the more we talk about books that I like there to be a bit of tension I think that's what keeps me interested so I think one of my criticisms for, again, 10,000 Doors of January was that everything was wrapped up too neatly in a nice pretty bow. And I think that's why I have an issue with the epilogue of this as well, because I I almost want the awkwardness of not having everything nicely tied up and mm-hmm. leaving a bit of room for imagination. And so I think if we take it back to the original question, which was a novel written at exactly the same time as another novel, it would almost take away that element of tension because you would already have the full story in Mm. whichever book it was that you'd read first. And I agree, it it then becomes a bit of a, like, I haven't read the Twilight add-on either. It just seems an interesting concept because if we were to then expand on Esme, would it be that we'd find out what happened to her after... She went back to the circus. So then it would be kind of a sequel, but yeah, told from a different character's ways. point yeah. of view. 
Mm. Yeah, it'd be really interesting. It'd be really interesting to see what she does. And and I'm quite interested to read her other book as well because it I just like I like her style. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I liked it as well. And I thought that this was her first book, but you say it's her second. It's the second, yeah. Yeah. I mean, to be perfectly honest to come back to the Esme potential um book, I think because she doesn't feature as heavily in this book I think it would be really interesting to to read even what was happening to her whilst everything was happening to Cecile because Cecile whilst she is an important character she is not the protagonist of this book so we only get three chapters from her let's call it POV which is her journals yeah and I would I would love to know about Esme and what she went through when she when they were at the circus as children and teenagers and you know when she was sent to the white forest when lucifer saved her from there you know all these things sound really interesting and then when she does escape what does she do like she says she traveled the whole world i mean she's been alive for over a hundred years so she must have seen and done a lot and i think that would be really really cool yeah i agree with you completely i think also it would be interesting to have her because she's got the memories of what happened when they were conjoined and you get little snippets of that be Mm. really interesting it would also be quite interesting to find out more about sylvie who is the she's in love with cecile yeah it'd be interesting to find out more about her but she very much felt like a side character to me yeah i agree i think and maybe this is also partly why I'm kind of confused as to what Lara is trying to accomplish at the end of the book, because it doesn't, I don't fully understand why there needs to be a human patron of the circus. Did you understand that part? What is what is their role? No, I'm not sure. Yeah, Sylvie and her mom, how did they get caught up in all of this? Yeah. Well, actually, Sylvie's mom was friends with Juno, Juno which was yeah. the mother of Cecile and Esme. So I think she probably got dragged into it completely inadvertently simply because she cared for her friend. Did you suspect that the man who we think is Lara's father was not actually her father? I was surprised by that, yes. Mm. I didn't think that he wasn't her father, but I did suspect that there was something going on between Audrey and Paul. Yeah, same. But I didn't... Um, think that far ahead that he <laughs> that he might be the father. I quite liked the part where Audrey's talking to uh, Lara about her relationship with Paul, mm-hmm. and um, she sort of says, "I was madly deeply in love with him, but he would have been a terrible father." And I think that really hit home for me because I have made a decision in the past of I don't think this man would be a particularly good father and I wouldn't want to be their partner thus leading me down the path that I am now on Mm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. but I thought that was a really I, I don't know that I've necessarily seen a lot of that in pop culture where there's an acknowledgement that maybe the person that you absolutely love is also not necessarily the person that you would need to be doing the life stuff with. Yeah, I agree. I thought that everything 
I think that everything in this book was handled very maturely. It dealt with a lot of heavy things, as a lot of the books that we've read before have dealt with. Mm. But I think this was more mature in the handling of these situations than maybe other books that I've read. So this exact thing, what you're talking about, the fact that she herself acknowledged, even at the time when she was deeply in love with this man, that he's probably not the best choice for a life partner. Yeah. But it, you know, it also at the same, I mean, she had a relationship with both men at the same time. Mm. So, you know, it also brought in that element, the fact that you can love more than one person at once and yeah, they can both be really good people. Yeah. Yeah. But even though she chose, well, she didn't actually choose Jason in the end. No, she because, didn't have a choice because exactly Paul disappeared. Paul disappeared. Yeah. She was pregnant. Mm. Jason proposed, and they got married. So even mm. though that relationship didn't, in the end, actually work out between the two of them because they are divorced, he is still the father that she wanted for her daughter, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, same. Yeah. What did you think of the dogs? <laughs> the dogs were really cool. I really <laughs> liked them. Yeah. Didn't see that coming either. No, me neither. <laughs> At some point I was actually thinking, um, because one of the dogs is called Hugo. Yes. And one of the trapeze artists at the circus is also Hugo. Right. So I had the thought... I didn't pick up on that. I, I did think... Is oh, this... you thought it was maybe him. Yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. <laughs> and I think Aww. there even is a throwaway line somewhere at the end that they have the same name. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah, but... no, I, I totally missed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I really like the dogs. The one thing that I didn't... Or that I felt was maybe not fully explored was the second circus the fact that after sylvie yeah. leaves the secret circus and moves to america with cecile's daughter she opens her own circus yeah and this is talked about it's mentioned a lot like it's that it's this uh, town heritage that there used to be this really famous circus there and Todd wants to give Lara the the old truck and all these things, but I wish that that had been maybe talked about a little bit more, or that maybe we would have had some scenes from the second circus as well. Yeah, I agree with you, and I also, I didn't quite understand why that second circus shut down. There was some sort of accident, wasn't there? Yeah, I also don't know. And you, you sort of said you weren't really sure why Lara had to learn how to fly mm -hmm. and I think that that was in there so that she discovered her deep love of the circus and performing which I think is the thing that ties them all together as well because that's partly why Audrey doesn't mind giving up her life to go to the secret circus again because she loves performing so much that's true yeah she did say that she would be happy enough to spend the rest of her life surrounded by the horses yeah of the circus. Yeah, so what do you think, or what would you like the ending, or the, the next chapter, I suppose? If you were to write the next chapter of Lara's story, what would you like it to be? 
I think it's leading us down the path of there'll be almost a timeshare where you'll have Audrey, Lara, and Bet Benny. Bet what's what was his name? Teddy. Teddy, and uh, I just I don't know. I kind of <laughs> I kind of want Alcazar, however mm-hmm. you say his name. <laughs> yeah. To to just be like, no, absolutely not. This is the bargain that was struck and that's what we're sticking with. Mm-hmm. Because I think that's a much more interesting set of circumstances to deal with mm-hmm. than having the timeshare. But then equally, I to be very honest, I haven't really thought about it very much. And actually, it might be quite interesting to have the timeshare because then you'd have the three different perspectives. You'd have Audrey and Lara and Teddy and I think Teddy, who's an art historian, seeing the world through his eyes would probably be really interesting because he, up to that point, had no idea that magic really did truly exist. He kind of suspected it, but he couldn't confirm it. And as a painter or a lover of paint or art, I think it'd be really interesting to see the world through his eyes Hmm. yeah I really liked his character I thought he was uh, a a great addition to the whole cast actually I liked all the characters I don't think there was a single character whom I didn't like and I felt like they were all even if they only showed up for a few scenes were all really well-rounded characters and Mm. I really enjoyed his interactions with Lara and Gaston and the kind Mm. of you know, geeky, nerdy, intellectual conversations that they had with each other, arguing their sides of the story. It really reminded me of of when we get together as a group and, you know, the guys kind of go into their little corner and they talk about the science Mm. and we talk about our books. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) I think if if he manages to, to stay in the circus, I think for him that would be for his character, probably exactly what he wants. Yeah. So I almost wish that he would be there full time and just let Audrey and, and Lara back into the real world so that they can have their happy endings with, with the men in their lives. Um, because I'm I'm rooting for Lara and Ben. I am as well. <laughs> I love Lara and Ben. <laughs> mm. So I think we probably need to start wrapping up. So would you like to introduce the next book? Yes, if I remember correctly, our next book should be Fahrenheit 451 yep. by Ray Bradbury, yep. I think is, is his name. And, it is. Um, yeah, this is a book that I am peripherally aware of its existence and mm-hmm. vaguely what it's about, but mm-hmm. at the same time, no idea what to expect. So. Yeah. I have no idea. It's a very famous book, but I also have never really looked into it, so it'll be an interesting episode. <laughs> yes, indeedy duty. Which will be recorded after you come back from your honeymoon. I know. I'm oh. so excited. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I can't quite believe it's happening. As we speak, I have one more day of preparation and then everybody arrives and that's it. So tomorrow I have to pack my bag for honeymoon and make sure that the flat's tidy and 
Oh, it feels like it's really suddenly happened. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. I know exactly how you feel. It feels like it's been months and months and months and you can't quite believe that we got there. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, but anyway, it it will be, yeah. I'll tell you all about it. <laughs> yes, I cannot wait. I hope you have an amazing time. And Thank I will talk you. with you when you get back. Yes, I will speak to you in a couple of weeks. <laughs> Yay. See you then. <laughs> bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. You can send your feedback, thoughts, questions and book recommendations to us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram as Reading Materials Pod. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Until next time, keep reading.